Hi, and welcome to the Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast. Every week, we will talk to the great, the good, and the legendary from the worlds of food, drink, marketing, and business to help give you the advice that will really help your brand boom. A huge thanks to our headline sponsors, the award-winning Engage Interactive. Engage Interactive have been helping hospitality businesses like yours prepare for a mobile and digital first world since 2007. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. So it's a really hot and sunny day down here in Brighton, and I've been out for my sanctioned little bit of wander uh, around and uh, avoiding people, but smiling and waving at the same time and trying to be as kind as possible. So I've popped back up to the bedroom boiling studio to do my final podcast of today. So it's actually been a marathon today where I've done four. So I'm uh, having a shot of coffee and getting up for it. And I'm about to speak to a branding and marketing legend. So his name, if you don't know him, is David Lemley, and he's from Retail Voodoo. And David is the president and chief strategist at Retail Voodoo, and it's a US-based brand strategy firm. So I'm hoping to gain a lot of insight on what it's like for David out there and what the current situation is, and also maybe the differences between US and UK brands in the food sector. But he's done some great work, including Essential Water, REI, Kind, uh, the, the really famous bars, Sur La Table, and uh, Dry Soda, and also did some work with Starbucks too. So David's got an amazing book you might want to check out called Beloved and Dominant Brands. And, you know, we're going to talk about quite a few things today, including tools for figuring out your brand strategy, what the retail trends are, and using PR to really sort of build that authentic story round about you. So I really can't wait to meet David. Uh, obviously, it's going to be over the phone, but most things are at the moment. And I'm really excited for his energy and his experience and passing that on to all of you. So it gives me the most voodoo pleasure ever to introduce a new friend all the way from Seattle. And it's the incredible, and I'm building you up because I think this is going to be a great podcast, David <laughs> Lemley of Retail Voodoo. And your job title is the amazing Chief Troublemaker. It's true. Thank you for that intro, Mark. I will try to not mess it up. <laughs> That's okay. There's there's always editing. There's always editing. <laughs> right. So um, yeah, so we were just having a chat. You you very kindly uh, went into the office to, to to get some quiet round about you. Um, I wish I had an office, or I would do the same. Um, so I'm uh, stuck in my bedroom with the curtains closed and all the windows shut tight, and um, it's uh, it's quite warm today. <laughs> so I'll be I'll be needing some fresh air uh, after this. So yeah. So how how is life treating you at the moment? What's going on in your world since the the, the pandemic? And we'll chat about that for a little bit, and then we'll go on to brighter things. Sure. So the world is very interesting. I'm in Seattle, which was really in in the states the first place where this happened. It was actually about four miles from where I sit right now. And uh, it was uh, fast denial, fast denial, and then, oh, crap, this is actually going to happen. And so what I've seen is actually uh, amazing people coming together to help one another. I've 
I have uh, spent a lot of my energy trying to help those who felt like they got knocked on their butts. Um, this happened actually right the week before um, the biggest natural food products expo in the United States was scheduled, and it was uh, can- canceled t- uh, less than 24 hours from push the button. Some of my clients and friends were on jets heading to Los Angeles, and when they got there, there was nowhere to go. Um, but because they had a lot of these um, emerging brands or new folks with new ideas had really amazing things, but they had basically shot their entire marketing budget to get into this show, and then they weren't able to do it, I um, started helping. So I, I offered 15 to 30-minute um, no-hassle coaching calls, and it's it's made life really rich for the last yep. uh, f- f- uh, probably five weeks, yeah. I think it's a really good thing to do, and there's, there's been a lot of people, you know, this is this is what you've seen from, from the UK, has just been people being so selfless, and whether that's feeding the front line, pubs now turning into local general stores, doing, um, you know, meals for the needy and, and all that. And there's one example, there's a, a brand called Yummy Pubs, you know, which is only a, a few pubs, you know, within the UK. And one of the guys there, he actually self-isolated with a, a team member away from his family so that they could work in the pub, sleep upstairs and get all these meals out to people who wanted takeaway to the front line, the police, etc., um, and 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 to the needy as well. And there's there's some stuff that's really made you emotional. You know, it's made you, you know, almost want to cry with, with the kindness that people are showing. And I think it is that old phrase of you know, love is the killer app. You know, just put it all out there, and and hopefully it will come back in spades. Yeah, I think you you have described it well. I think. People are strangely, well, particularly smaller businesses are are anxious. There's this great demonstration of what humanity is capable of. And I think more people are encouraged and surprised. And my hope is that our spirit of generosity is actually the rocket fuel that we use to uh, help all of these brands and businesses make the biggest comeback. And and I, and I think my other hope is that there's going to be a lot more kindness and in business as well, you know, because business can be toxic. And, you know, it, it, I think for a lot of people, it was all getting a bit much lately. And I'll hold my hand up and say, you know, it was a crazy, crazy rat race for a bit. And I think just this time to pause and reflect and actually think about what do you want to do yourself and what brand do you want to be? Um, which a lot of people are thinking about right now, and and you know how can you sort of reshape in, in, in the next few chapters of your life rather than just you know being a robot and and, and getting on with it? I think it's quite exciting for a lot of people. Yeah, I think the notion that actually we are the protagonist in our own story is interesting because I think so many people in business either feel like the the villain of said chapter or the victim of said chapter rather than the true line. So I think there are a lot of people using this time to recalibrate and do a little bit of soul searching, which I think is actually helping the whole notion of love is the killer app. Yeah, no, I think I think it's going to be great. And then, what about business wise for you? You know, did you see everything just kind of pausing, um, and 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 then you know restart later, or you know what what's kind of happened in in, in that daily life as well? 
Yeah, so it's it's very interesting. So we, uh, having been in the world of brand for as long as I have, this is my third economic recession. So I've seen a couple of things. And so my expectation was, oh my goodness, this is going to be a thing. I'm going to need to help people line up like this. And we, we did all the preparatory work thinking the shoe would drop. And we have held our own. We because of you know brand positioning work and strategy work tends to be months out. We have an, enough work to keep the team busy, and mm-hmm. the conversations that we were doing prior have uh, a, a couple have progressed because the, they are uh, very aggressive and are anticipating w- whatever we're doing will be alive in August September type work. And then some of the ones where uh, we thought things were going to happen in in the first quarter or second quarter of the year. We have just been in dialogue with them and helping them deal with things like, oh my gosh, we, you know, pantry stocking was a big thing, and so they had to figure out how to run a second or third shift to get production met. And so we just guided and coached and hung out and um, sometimes cried with them, but just kind of um, tried to do the right thing by them. And as a result, our business is healthy. Yeah, well, that, I mean, I think that's a great thing, and I think it's important, you know, just to to keep keep yourself busy as well, and you know, and, and I'm really trying to do as much content as possible, and you know, as much pre thinking as possible as well, because none of us have really been in this situation. So my my dream, I suppose, is to in the next few weeks create this absolute playbook, or and you know, and give it selflessly to businesses and say, look you know, here, here's what I would do if I was you. And then it might, you know, just help them uh, get back up and running because without the hospitality industry, then, you know, both of us might uh, <laughs> not be doing much. Uh, exactly. you know, <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to volunteer. Um, I have some content I, I encourage you to steal liberally from as you write your playbook. Oh, There's great. A couple of um, maybe four or five of the most recent articles on our insights section of our website go take it it's punch list of here's how to commit small acts of love to your employees here's how to commit small acts of love to the world and build your brand during this and right after so it's all there and then also things to help you have the chutzpah to zag when everyone is wanting to go to this one place which is we're all in this together. We'll get through it. It's going to be an amazing thing. And so what's happening is there's an homogenization of uh, messaging out there. And I think that what I want to do is encourage people to um, take their why, you know, the whole Simon Sinek thing and their what and knit them together into something that is uh, supersonic. Hey, well, what, what are you, what are you seeing as messaging from, from the hospitality sector? at the moment in the US you know what what are what are people putting out there well it's so interesting because um there has been um a quick move for everyone except for really rebellious uh, smaller well organized groups to sound the same like i i can't tell the difference between DoorDash and Hyundai and Allstate right now right. and and McDonald's and so those are all major advertisers flooding social media flooding the airwaves buying every spot they can so they sound all the same and even um, a couple of our our clients who have media that they purchased in Manhattan that, and so the show must go on you know they're not going to be able to <laughs> postpone that purchase so they're advertising 
smells a bit like everyone else that what yep. they ended up going with. And I think it's because people are wanting to have solidarity and the challenge is when the message of solidarity is so profound, it becomes, uh, it, it risks becoming patronizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, well, I, I think it is just that classic, you know, if, if I hear, you know, another brand or, or email, you know, saying in these troubled times and these unprecedented times and we're here for you. And, and I don't know if a lot of them really are, you know, so there's, there's not a lot of truth behind it. Yeah. <laughs> in these uncertain times, we're here for you. Yeah. Should you need to need to buy a vehicle, we will help you finance it. Yeah. I mean, that, well, that... <laughs> well, do you know what? I was, on, I was on Twitter, I think, or maybe even Instagram last night, and one of them said something about, there was an airline that said, you know, we're here for you and, and this and that. And they were like, where were you when my my case was, you know, 51 pounds over. <laughs> you <know>? yeah, exactly. <laughs> you didn't I, mean, do I, it then. I, I think that is really, really um, articulate that you cannot behave one way and suddenly decide you're a citizen brand. You have to um, decide, like, again, you talked about people taking the time to think about who they are and what they want their narrative to be over time, what their their brand's going to look like forward. If, if you decide that you are a citizen and you are going to care for people, then when you say, I'm here for you, it's credible. But for everyone else, you know, the, from <laughs> um, fast food to, to automakers, to the airlines, to whatnot, I'm, I mean, I think about, you know, there's a big thing going on. Uh, Las Vegas is a... Is a uh, a gambling hub and right now they are trying to be <laughs> they want to reopen so they can get people back and they're trying to do this we care for you we want everybody to do this thing and it just smacks of incredible inauthenticity to the point where um people are threatening the governor now oh really because it just sounds so unbelievable because vegas is not there for you uh, no i mean it was there for us we got married there actually you know way. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean it's uh, it's in- it's incredibly self indulgent, yeah. <laughs> and you know it's it's definitely not a place built on kindness. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. The Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast is also brought to you by BDO, the trusted accountancy and advisory firm. As the finance experts in hospitality, BDO have the experience and the insight to provide solid foundations for your business's future growth. BDO really are the go-to team to help your hospitality business succeed. If you're in need of a dedicated transactional team bolstered with corporate finance, audit and tax services, talk to BDO, who've got the right expertise, knowledge and experience to drive your restaurant or bars business throughout their full life cycle. As thought leaders across the sector, BDO offers commercial and technical updates specifically tailored to restaurants and bars, including their annual hospitality reports. BDO also have a well-established network in the industry that spans across finance directors, suppliers and advisors, and they are always willing to use this to their clients and their contacts' advantage. Get in touch today at bdo.co.uk to chat about how they can help take your hospitality business to the top. And please say that I sent you.
Anyway, that's the that's the what's going on right now, and and you know uh, we're all feeling our way really. So there's no absolute silver bullet or anything, but um, we'll, we'll see how we go. But back to better things, you know. Just going back then, so I got this email um, from the lovely is it Bree, yes, um, who, who who sent me and, and introduced us, and you know you get a lot of these things, but you you know you just really stood out as as someone worth talking to and. You know, looking at you know the book that you have, and, and you know, I'm definitely going to get my hands on that. I just thought it was so much exciting things to talk about. But what I wanted to do was go back a bit and say, not quite, you know, you were born on a Wednesday or anything like that. But you know, just in terms of you know, how did you end up in the the brand and marketing world, and and also the the sort of F and B, you know, hospitality world as well. You know, what was the story there? Yeah, so I have uh, been in the the creative marketing world my whole career. And I started out as a classically trained, which means gluing things together with duct tape and exacto knives and whatnot. And uh, was fortunate enough to be one of the first generations to cross over to digital with those tools in hand. Ooh. And that, that combination got me to afforded me the opportunity to be in the room when it happened a couple of few times. And so I took a lot of notes and learned. And so then I started asking to get be to be put in the room and uh, helped a couple of teams build some from nothing global brands fairly rapidly that were wildly successful. So I went back to school and studied business. And that combination of studying business and having the classically trained uh, creative background is is unusual, and that Ooh. is sort of how I built my my world. As I took the went in and and the notes that I took in the rooms when it happened, I turned them into a roadmap, and so I I have a roadmap that I've been using for over twenty years to guide teams through, and that's really where. It, where that happened. And, and I, again, having had some success with small, medium, and large businesses uh, about, uh, about well, the last re recession really is when things kind of got interesting for me. I, um, I'd done several things and I was um, kind of in this point in my career where any brand would do and clients were great and I had some choices, but I had this really strange opportunity that came about to work on um, Pampers. <laughs> so, oh. and Pampers, uh, that it was a very interesting assignment. Basically, it was make them globally accepted. Don't don't f this up. By the way, this brand's bigger than the entire NFL. Go. <laughs> that, that's, that's a wild paraphrase of the brief um but that's basically uh what happened so it was uh, a global research assignment a global understanding of um moms and culture and in that process um i was working on that and simultaneously discovered that one of my children had food allergies but this was at a point in time where when I took them to the doctor, I was laughed at for thinking that he had food allergies. Yeah. If you can believe that was just a decade ago. I can. I can for sure. <laughs> so um, that made me the combination of helping change um, the perception of motherhood in so many countries around the globe in such a short period of time. And um, the food allergy thing kind of lit me on fire and said, you know what? I'm going to take all of this knowledge and I'm going to go help all the food and beverage brands I can to flip the script and disrupt the world and, and make um, clean ingredient better for you, deliciousness, 
and food allergies and clean and um, free from and all of those sorts of things normal. Yeah. And so that's what I set out to do in 2011. And um, when I started that, there were people who said, you're a wacko. That will never happen. And, uh, you know, it's now one of the most popular sectors for marketing folks to be involved in. So I think we're, um, we're well on our way. Nice. And then, you know, what was the flip, you know, in terms of getting to retail voodoo and, and all that stuff? Was there, you know, companies before that, you know, or, or, or how long have you been as retail voodoo? So retail video came about in 2011. However, what I'll tell you is so that going back to school and creating a map, when I got out of school the second time, um, the company used to be called Lemley Design Company, named after yours truly, because I want I was out to like scratch my name on the rock. And somewhere in that period of time, realized that it's way more about contribution than anyone ever knowing my name. But during the school process, we named the process, the brand development process, Retail Voodoo. So I've had the URL since 1999. Nice. Um, and uh, in 2011 when it was kind of like okay post pampers I, I worked on pampers tropicana and quaker all in the same year and globally and came back and said you know what if if i had the nerve this is what i would do and um my partner at the time said well why don't you have the nerve let's try it so we changed the nameplate made a few phone calls narrowed the positioning, took everything that was not related to food and beverage out of the portfolio and said, okay, what do we actually have? Who can we call? And that's, it was very bootstrappy and, and that's how Retail Video was born. Nice. And then you, you, you've you sort of been sort of in touch with Starbucks and got experience there as well. What, what sort of time frame was that in? Yeah, so the, the Starbucks brand that I helped uh, create is exactly the same age as my oldest child so it's 23 and the reason i know that oh, is wow. he was born preemie in the middle of the assignment so the, the week of the big pre presentation so i happen to know that they're the same age um but so i was lucky enough when it was a small shop there were um they were franchising, or not franchising, but going um, going around like crazy, had had some success. They had about 800 locations, and um, they brought in Scott Bedberry from Nike, the Just Do It guy, and Ooh. Wright Massey from Disney Retail Theater, and said, go make a global brand. And I, I was um, lucky enough, dumb enough, to be one of many tools in their shed. And... Uh, Again, fortunate enough, I was, you know, to be, to be in the room when it happened. I got to see very smart people do amazing things and work with a board and work with um, a CEO who was out to change the world. And again, I just took notes and tried to keep a low profile, but again, did a medium job on that. And in the end, you know, the toolbox, we, the Starbucks book that we wrote was the very first brand Bible that was written back before they were called style guides, you know? And uh -huh. uh, I got to co-author that with a gentleman named Brian McKenna, who was my writing mentor. And uh, that kind of set the stage. Instead of being like, I'm all that, I was um, quite humbled, quite humbled and scared. Like, oh my gosh, I peaked at, you know, 29 or 30 or whatever it was. And that was my fear. 
And so that that was what motivated me to go back to school. So again, yes, that original Starbucks work, I got to be part of it was really amazing. And it was so much fun to travel around um, that the states first and be able to see things. It was very self-actualizing to have something that was in my sketchbook when I was 15 be handed yeah. to me in the airport in Stockholm. Um, it was, you know, kind of, kind of a self-actualizing moment. And um, anyway, I just kind of, it, it's been long enough that I don't talk about it very much. So thank you for asking about it. No, it's, it's really exciting. And, you know, it was just so funny, like, of all the, what does it say, of all the gin bars in all the world, like, turns out we know a couple of people the same and things like that. So that's yeah. just a small world after all and all yeah. that stuff. Um, yeah. And then... You know, when you're getting into brands and branding and positioning and things like that, you know, what what sort of process do you tend to go through with with companies? You know, to to get them to that, you know, something that's crystallized. Yeah, I, it's really it, it starts with team alignment. So you have to get everyone literally on the same page, and that is uh, that's its own thing. So that is we began there. And then actually the book, that whole triangle pyramid thing, that is our first process that we do separately from the client where we go out and audit them using that that, uh, seven months of marketing or the ecosystem, as it's called in the book, Um, using that to benchmark them against, um, against who they've identified as competitors and who we see as opportunities and threats. And we use that as a baseline. So we take that literally getting the team on the same page of what re- reality looks like and what the ambitions are, and then that audit. And then we start to go look for um, future, a, a new future. And again, we are very much about do-gooders and citizen brandhood and thinking about, well, what is the legacy of this brand going to be in 50 years? Will it have mattered that it existed? And if so, what would those accomplishments and those those uh, contributions to humanity look like? And then so then we back it up and say, okay, well, so what should we do in a year? Well, what, what should we do in six months? And so we help them build um, what we call a five-year series of event horizons, knowing that, you know, six months, a year, mostly you're going to be okay. You're going to have some some things you can predict and some things you can't predict. But as you get into year two, year three, year five, those are dreams and hallucinations. But if you start getting them to walk and think that way, today gets much easier. Hi, I'm Alex from Engage, and thanks for tuning in to the Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Each week, we'll be bringing you a great tip to supercharge your own digital marketing. And this week's comes from James, a head of paid search, who shares his insight on Google search query reports. One of the most important but often overlooked parts of running a Google search campaign is to check which searches on Google have actually triggered your advert to appear. Under the keywords menu in Google Ads, there will be a section called search terms. Here you should see hundreds, maybe even thousands of searches that users have made and have matched against the keywords in your account. Sorting by impressions, highest to lowest, will help you optimize the searches which are having the biggest impact. There are a couple of key things to look out for in this report. First are searches which have lots of impressions but a low click-through rate, typically under 2%. Think about how relevant these are to your business and maybe add as negative keywords if they aren't. Second are searches which are performing particularly well with high conversion rates. You may want to split these out into separate campaigns or ad groups and give them additional budget. If you need help with your own paid advertising campaigns, then head over to engageinteractive.co.uk forward slash podcast 
where you can see how we've helped some of the UK's most ambitious and successful hospitality brands with theirs. Cheers, and enjoy the rest of the episode. Obviously, touching on your book as well, and I'm so, well, I'm so pleased for you, but I'm also really envious because I, I feel like I've got at least one book in me, and I, I wrote to a couple of publishers, and they were like, nah, no thanks. Um, and I, You know, I didn't think there was many books out there that, you know, talked about, you know, marketing for food and drink brands in the UK and, and stuff like that, you know. So I still think there's there's an interesting little gap there. But looking at yours, you know, beautiful, uh, you know, beautifully designed, funnily enough. But, you know, beloved and dominant brands that it's called, and it's David E. Lemley, if you want to get onto your Amazon now, um, and other good bookstores. And then the brand is, you know, the way it's described is the brand ecosystem that drives better for you brands uh, from one of many uh, to, to category prominence. Now, with that, you know, obviously you've got a real why and a real motivation of this better for you brands. But, you know, how would you sort of describe that? Because I guess you're one of the, the forefathers of that category in thinking about that. Yeah, I I think that other words that I have seen cl- customers and clients talk about is when they think of themselves, they say, well, we're, we want to be purpose-driven or we want to be a good citizen or we want to be able to afford our values. And so those are all tenets of a better for you brand. Where it goes a little bit further is it really needs to be about people and contribution and you need to be sustainable and take care of the planet. And then you need to uh, commit to being a force for good so that what do you do with your profits? Are you lining the walls of your uh, fourth mansion, or are you uh, <laughs> making sure that your employees have a livable wage? And so it's that sort of conversation that we enter into these these uh, branding assignments, f- talking openly about that sort of thing. And when does the balance start to shift? You know, because a lot of brands, you know, are going to see now and, and doing, you know, brand DNA workshops and things like that. And you do get them saying things like, you know, or we we want a purpose, and, and I sometimes feel that you've already lost if you're asking that kind of question. You know, you're wanting to add it on as is, is like you know an an optional extra in a car. You know, I'd like leather seats, and it's like it needs to probably come from the engine. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I think that is another huge thing is that to to truly be better for you, you cannot bolt it on. It cannot be you cannot go to an agency or a consultant and say, "Help me, help me." Why do I exist? Um, <laughs> yeah. If if you do, you know, you might as well do something else because uh, th- there's there's a, at a minimum needs to be a passion for w- what you're doing, why you do it what your contribution is going to be. And so all of those sorts of things exist. I don't I don't believe anybody is in business or has built a brand, particularly in food and beverage, where they just simply don't care and they're mailing Ooh. it in. I, I think it is a passion thing because it's about, you know, creating the actual physical things that make people. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of people that are running it as a business from a spreadsheet rather than from the heart a lot of the time. You know, there's certainly, you know, a lot of casual dining, um, you know, sort of beigeness out there um, when, you know, maybe it's just been, the brand's just been a little bit unloved, you know, and it's it's just sort of t- ticking along. But what, 
would your advice be in terms of, you know, that balance shifting from a one of a kind, you know, or you know, to one of many to one of a kind brands? You know, how how would that work? You know, is it a series of steps or is it one big thing or what happens there? Well, so the the whole idea, uh, and it kind of gets to this running the business from a spreadsheet mentality. Um, I, I think that what happens if you have a good idea, you become you, you have the possibility of becoming a leader by default, and that when you have a good idea, that because of the way the modern world works, it's pretty easy and certainly nearly guaranteed that you will be copied, you will be knocked off. And so you could have the best recipe and someone down the street might be able to make it. And from that to, you know, the interior design elements of your uh, dining experience can all be uh, replicated. It's, it's um, the, the feature and the attribute cannot, they're, they're not truly uh, protectable IP in the long run because it can be homogenized. And so you can have a, a beigeness, as you said, or a sea of sameness. Think of it like mm-hmm. that. Everybody mm-hmm. kind of wants to navigate it, exactly like where we're starting in the beginning, you know? We're all in this together sort of conversation. Now it's, uh, it's indistinguishable who said what. So I think that is what, the, as you start to, optimized and cost engineer and manage your business for better profitability. That is the risk because the people who are, are particularly good at that um, sort of poo-poo or, or don't think so much about the, the why. They're very great operators and they're great at what and how. And it's really um, to, to get to that um, category of one or becoming the category leader or prominent in the category, you have to connect with people in a way where your vocabulary and your offering and how people feel about it when they connect with you is radically different. So we we always start with, let's make some tenets around this brand that would scare the living daylights out of anybody that wanted to copy it. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that's the, that's the thing. And, and at the moment, I'm a, I'm doing, there's these series of mini MBAs in, in marketing that you can do uh, with Mark Ritson, who's, who's like the marketing professor uh, from Australia. Yes. And he was talking about, you know, the, the whole brand equity thing. And, and I think that plays into that, which is if you take that commodity away from, you know, the, the, the situation, what are you left with? And if it is those things that are just so outlandish that people just, they couldn't replicate, but they wouldn't even want to put the energy into replicating. I think that's where, you know, it, it seems to be the big difference. And they're like hen's teeth, you know, they're very, very, very rare, these brands, you know, in a lot of cases. And what what sort of brands have you been working with then that are the better for you brands? Yeah, so lately we have been working with a company that I'm I'm really excited about is called lesser evil and they are a snack brand out of uh, danbury connecticut and um, it's actually uh the story is this gentleman the business has been around for a while for um quite a long time and sort of sort of languished and then um got some operational significance it's got a really smart couple of people who knew spreadsheets well because it's uh, it was purchased by a former wall street guy and um, he actually is very soulful and, and very uh, 
spiritually minded around contribution and um, commitment and and uh, contribution to humanity. He's the one who said ingredients mean everything, and so they had a brand um, of popcorn called Buddha Bowl. Oh, nice! It, and it's um, it, at Whole Foods or natural. Uh, marketplaces, natural grocers, it's quite popular, or it had been quite popular. And so we were tasked with helping them um, expand that because uh, it that particular uh, brand was not really a brand. That happened to be the name of a single product <laughs> that was yeah. part of a suite of products, but it, it overshadowed everything. So we helped them figure out how to communicate it and not lose sales and build the rest of the portfolio around it. And so that is something that um, it's been really fantastic about making sure that the ingredients and, and really even working with them to talk to suppliers about um, sustainability and transparency and in certain ingredients and even getting some of the retailers to think about um, redefine their, their company definitions of sustainability to include the wellness and fairness of the brand, the, the supplier, and that if something, for example, is needs to be farmed transitionally because there's not enough land to get the thing grown organically, um, to work with that and talk about it because that is more sustainable than saying, nope, it must be organic here, even though you can only get um, 400 acres of it, which means you can't make enough product to actually make any money. So I'm really just working to talk through those sorts of things. All of that has been uh, phenomenal. So I'm very pleased with how that uh, relaunch has been going and they're staying healthy through this whole thing. And so it's, it's something that I'm quite pleased with right now. This is super fun, right? I'm, I'm looking at the, the website right now. <laughs> and uh, This is great, right? So anyone that wants to check out lesserevil.com, and, you know, just like the button saying things that make you go, mm, you know, <laughs> like CMT Music Factory. I mean, that's fun. That I mean, that's just so brilliant. And what a great name as well. I mean, oh, my God. Yeah, great so name. much fun. So they have a really great internal team, which also makes me love them so much. You know, they're they're we're just such good partners and their marketing folks are brilliant and are having uh, so much fun pushing that envelope continuously. That's brilliant. And there's a, it reminds me of a, a brand over here actually called Karma Cola, Karma Drink. And um, they're doing a really good job, you know, and it is about that, you know, lesser evil side of things. And, um, yeah. you know, they, they sort of really mean it, man, when they're, when they're doing stuff there, you know, when the, the, the profits are coming in, then it's going to, you know, projects, um, you know, out in the, the third world and they're, they're just helping people like nonstop. It's, it's just brilliant. And their drinks are absolutely delicious. And one of the problems with, you know, other cola products is it doesn't really taste like the real thing TM. Um, but you know, this is just, you know, different in a, in a, in a really nice way. And, oh, it's, it's great. So I think, um, you know, that whole lateral thought. And, and also, you might know a brand called Innocent. Do you know yeah, Innocent over here? I do. So, I mean, oh my God, they're, they're just amazing. And they, in this lockdown period at the moment, they've just been doing such good things on Twitter. And, and the way they've extended the brand out into the real world and real life. And, and you know, so every day they post without fail. Daily reminder of what day it is, it's a Wednesday. 
you know, and stuff. And it's just <laughs> like it's just like sticking to their guns to do it, you know. And then there's other ones which are they set you daily tasks every day, and it's things like um, you know, type a, a twenty word email without using the letter S, oh. and you know. Like you know, write write a write a presentation with your feet and you know all this kind of stuff. And it's just it's just you know really really good fun. And and those brands are just such a joy to to see in action. Um, you know that's so much bigger than the product itself. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. The Supersonic Marketing Podcast is also brought to you by Atenzi, the world's leading gamified simulation training provider. Even before the COVID-19 crisis, a LinkedIn study found that more than half of learning and development professionals were looking at remote learning solutions. Given hospitality's new reality, how do you plan to train your staff to accelerate your business out of these tough times? With Atenzi's gamified simulation training, you can accurately recreate the situations and environments that your people will face day in, day out to engage and rapidly develop their abilities. Forget static e-learning, dusty training manuals and passive videos and embrace training's new era with Atenzi. Find more information and get started today at atenzi.com forward slash restaurants. And what do you do, you know, just to keep the brand? staying relevant and loved you know because you know external forces could change it you know someone that's a a bigger fish could come in and you know sort of purpose wash their products to to making it look better for you you know how how do you stay agile and, and vigilant and all that stuff well i think you just touched on the area which is you need to communicate with people in a way that resonates deeply and makes them smile or makes them chuckle or makes them pine for whatever that that you need to have a value equation there that is not based upon the actual product the product needs to be good it needs to be clean all of those sorts of things but the value equation what they give you which is their attention and perhaps a share of their wallet um, is more valuable than to to them than so the exchange is equal does that make sense yeah, definitely, definitely. And did I see that you'd you'd worked with Kind? Yes, um, I, I have worked with Kind. Uh, retail Video was fortunate enough to be brought in and got to work directly with Daniel Lebetsky, and wow. um, it was quite a thing. And and we worked on a project, a very specific project, which has now since been rolled into the portfolio uh, in its entirety. Um, but at the time, we were working on a project that was codenamed Bars for Dudes. And it was this mission that he had to help teenage dudes eat incrementally better. And so we went after the, uh, the teenagers who were skateboarding up to basically the, the mini market and grabbing a Coke and a fruit pie or a Coke and a pepperoni stick. And that was their food for the day. And saying, well, if we could get them to maybe drink water and have something with some um, plant-based protein and maybe some fiber in it, that, that still tasted good. Um, so we helped them develop 
a, a set of bars, which was the first savory. It was about the time that actually Cliff came out with Mojo as well, but they were savory. And so they, you know, we worked with them and they taste like Doritos or Funyuns or you name uh, any type of crisp, you know, that's Ooh. got lots, lots of cheesy, salty goodness on it. And, um, it, but they're made from pumpkin seeds and that sort of thing. So it was a, it was a, at the time it was quite revolutionary and yeah. um, the whole idea that, that uh, he, he spoke about was he wanted it to be um, it's strong to be kind, which fits really perfectly into how we've been chatting today, but he was way ahead of the curve. Cause this was, you know, 2012, 2013 in that era. And, or perhaps maybe a little later than that, but um he he had this vision for all of that and was so far ahead of so many brands. It's just it was impressive to get to see the genius at work. Well, I, you know, kind is uh, not came out of nowhere, but it's been really noticeable. Um, probably in the last year, um, maybe even less than that. You know, it just it seems to have you know got some advertising budget over here. Um, seems to be getting a lot more distribution in, in more prominent places. So it's really became a, a real fixture um, and, and really noticeable. The branding's so striking and, you know, it's doing doing, doing a really good job, I think, doing a really good job. So, you know, I, I'll just go from strength to strength. And then a couple other things I was thinking about was, you know, what common mistakes are you seeing from, from brands, you know, so that they're losing customer loyalty and what's your advice of, of how they can maybe earn it back i think the the most common mistake we see is trying to uh trying to become a value play if your brand is not a value play trying you know so trying to be like okay we're suddenly affordable when we're not or trying to to position position it like that when it's not it's um changing because of uncertainty trying to change the the core story to be something that doesn't resonate. Um, it it kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, you can get so many things from just about anywhere, but there's, there's that sense of who you get to be when you're with the, the brand that yeah. a human cares deeply about that. Is, you become a part of their, the building blocks they use to create their own self-identity and that matters to them. So it's, I always talk about, you know, the brand is the promise you make and the way in which you decide to keep it. And then that feeling that I have right below my heart in my body about how I feel about the way you kept it. And so when a brand deviates from that by trying to be affordable when they're not, or trying to be, we're all in this together when it's really about gambling, for example, or something like that. It just smacks of inauthenticity and it erodes whatever position you held in, inside of their heart and mind. Yeah. And then I was thinking also about, you know, when you're faced with, you know, when you, you're a better for you brand and you're, you're faced with smaller competitors that are coming into that space, you know, because there's, there's always someone going to be nipping at your heels as well. You know, how can you sort of stay strong and, and stay true and not buckle? Well, I think it's, again, decide what your contribution is going to be long-term and, and then employ the tactics to make sure that you have 
the right relationships. I think if you think about it from a better for you brand and you think about uh, competitors nipping at their heels all the time, that where I would encourage those brands to think about is the communication and the relationship they have with their retail partners and making sure that they are understanding what the retailers' customers are saying and needing so that they can collaborate on what's the right messaging, what's the right product offering, if it needs to evolve, that sort of thing. And just have kind of that long-term collaborative spirit will help in the short term. Again, these are things where you can't like flip the switch tomorrow and suddenly be that way. It's more of a headspace. Yeah. It's a bit like yoga, you know, think of it like yoga. Like the first day you can't really touch your toes, but after about a month of trying, (laughs) suddenly you can (laughs) do, you know, you can stretch. Yeah, a little bit more bendy. And yeah. then thinking about the future then, you know, what trends are you seeing, um, you know, from, from, from where you're sitting in terms of food and drinks that are coming down the track? And, you know, what's the, the, the best way that people can, you know, tap into to, to that sort of futurology? Yeah, I think that the trends that I I was seeing for... 2020, things like, um, you know, the vilification of sugar, I think it's still going to be happening for um, for a while. I think it's currently on reprieve, uh, but I do think that that will come back quite strong. I also think that um, one of the trends towards um, <clears throat> plant-based meat analogs, I think is going to continue. But I, I had an interesting conversation yesterday about this because, it really needs to be about sustainability. And in this whole situation we're in, one of the things that has really come up is human immunity and what you put in really matters because it will become the thing that your body builds defense mechanisms out of. And so a lot of uh, plant-based meats are not actually uh, bioavailable to humans. In fact, not to call out Impossible Burger, but I just did. Um, 85, 85% of people cannot digest what's in the burger. So right. yeah, it's, it just passes through um, and there's no nutrition and no bioavailability to it. Um, so it, from a, from a um, sustainability, if you take human nutrition as part of sustainability, that is a problem. So I think getting nutrition into those types of um, meat analogs is going to be hugely important. And then the other thing that, that part of that conversation from yesterday that was so fascinating to me is this idea of lab-based meats. And I think um, we will see more of that. I think humans will be very slow to accept that because mm. of how we're wired. And there's um, the reason impossible is so interesting is because they figured out how to isolate the pea protein in order to make the, the burger bleed because that is in, innate to humans. It's a whole fascinating study. So I think um, better nutrition in that, I think is going to be people chasing a cleaner protein is um, going to be a trend that I would, if I were investing in food companies right now, I would go after that. Mm. Well, there's been quite a few good videos uh, that have been going around about almost uh, yeah 3D printing of, of you know steaks and things like that and it, it is getting really interesting and I remember being at a conference maybe even four or five years ago in Zurich and you know they were talking about you know you'll be printing burgers for your dinner you know you'll be loading up the cartridges of protein and, and whatever else and you're thinking no way but you know it might not be that far away 
um, be, be quite interesting. And then also, as you say, the sustainability, the trackability, you know, it's going to be more scrutinised than ever because at the moment, even if we're getting deliveries of food or, you know, essentials, let's say, from Amazon, um, you know, they're going straight out of the back garden and we're disinfecting them within an inch of their life. So <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's, and, you know, what, what the ironic thing was earlier on, I was disinfecting hand sanitizer bottles. How weird inception, <laughs> inception world is that? But um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's going to be sort of fascinating to see that people people might you know just feel more comfortable with more comforting foods or foods that you know are, are a little bit more simple and basic and yes it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what people do next i think it will be really fascinating you know the the conversation that we've had over here uh, as a team is well what do you think is going to happen when when we reintegrate and will we go out to bars and will we go out to restaurants and it's i think the answer to that is it's going to depend a lot and i think that um i don't think our preferences are permanently um morphed but i do think there is a reset period and I think that people will crave comfort and crave simplicity. And I think the other thing that's really interesting is some people who haven't cooked in five years have realized, oh my gosh, I can turn that thing on or heat it up or what have you. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think that that will have an impact. And so, um, you know, it's a kind of the whole clean traceability and, and what is the nutritional content of what I'm going to eat is going to stay in our, our the forefront of our minds. Now, don't get me wrong. I think people will be doing things like taking supplements or eating manuka honey and then enjoying a pint and having nachos. I think it'll all play like that, but I think it'll be um, in flux for a long time. Definitely. Okay, well, I'm just looking at the time. I better let you go soon. Um, but there was a couple more things I was just going to ask you on the on the fun end of things. And obviously, you know, to get more of this great information, you need to check out um, the Retail Voodoo website um, and also David's book, which we'll, we'll put in the show notes and, and all that stuff. So there's a couple of fun things. So we do this thing at the end of the show, which is uh, called Mark Out of 10. And basically the questions are, best city to eat in well i think that i would say new york and i only say that because that's proximity to me that is a place where i have uh, i get the benefit of going to and why i think it's because well you can get anything you want at two in the morning yep yep uh, legal or illegal <laughs> <laughs> whatever you need yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then what about best restaurant so I thought a lot about this, and I, I decided that I am a huge fan of the Italy concept. Have you seen oh, it? Oh, yeah. Yes. I've been to the one in Rome. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's the coolest thing ever because you can get whatever you want, and it feels like you're in a village inside um, wherever you are. Yeah. And, and all the hams sort of hanging can get a little bit whiffy and a little bit smelly. Um with the, the moldy hams uh, hanging up. And it reminded me of the scene out of Seven with all the magic trees um, <laughs> in, the, in the room. But, um, yeah, I mean, what a concert. I think they took over the Rome train station mm. uh, from the 1990 World Cup, and uh, the, the soccer. And um, 
Oh man, yeah, it was. I think I maybe went three or four years ago, and my mind was just blown how you can graze your way through this sort of superstore. It's just banana. Yeah, I, I liked it because it felt like um, that. Like you said, graze your way through, but it also felt like I didn't need to be the expert. That the Whoa. people there genuinely knew their little slice of the world and had an opinion about it and could say, well, if you like this, do this or oh, go over there uh, and try that. It was, um, again, a, a journey. No, it was, it was amazing. And then uh, best dish, what's your, what's your absolute favorite thing to have? Well, so the, the, my favorite thing to have, I've only had one time. Um, okay. but it's the best thing I ever ate. And um, I I got to go to Lisbon uh, a few years back, and uh, my friend and host was kind enough to take me out to this city called Alvara, and I ate something called The Secret of the Black Pig. And it's uh, – are you familiar with this? I don't – I'm not so sure. No, is it, is it like black ham or something? It's it's the fold on the Iberian pig that underneath their ribs they have a piece of meat that most other pigs don't have. And so I had that, and it was amazing. Oh, and is it hot? Is it like a hot dish? It is a hot dish, yeah. It was like a, it was like a roast. Yeah. Oh, interesting. No, I need, to, I need to have a check that out. And then best drink – What's your go-to? Well, so my go-to right now, I, I I swim around all the time. But right now, I am into a wine from Walla Walla, Washington, which is uh-huh. um, a place that now makes great wine. It's uh, similar to Napa, California. Um, and the, the winery that I like is Le Col, and they have a Frenchtown wine that um, – the 2016 and 2017 are good, but the 2015 is amazing. Nice. Need to, need to, I'm definitely heard of Walla Walla for sure. I need to, yeah, have to check that out. Um, at the moment, um, yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm the same as you. You know, I'm a bartender's worst nightmare because I keep <laughs> changing my mind what, what I like. But uh, there was a really good video the other night on Instagram of Stanley Tucci, the, the uh-huh. actor. And he uh, made a Negroni, and it went sort of viral, certainly in the UK. Um, so yeah, everyone's getting a Negroni on at the moment. Um, so that's been that's been quite fun. Um, so yeah, doing it in the the Tucci fashion. He's got his own way of doing it. So that was kind of cool. Well, listen, thanks so much for taking the time to to talk to me. And I know it's slightly earlier where you are. Um, and I'm just hugely jealous that you are sort of stuck in Seattle because it's just a great place to be. Um, and yeah, I just, I wish you really well. I wish the book well and, and retail voodoo well too. And yeah, hopefully we can, we can catch up another time and yeah, just, yeah, take care of yourself, stay safe, stay well. And yeah, thanks again for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you, Mark. So thanks so much to David for spending the time to give us an absolute masterclass on brand and retail marketing. Do check out David's book as well if you get a chance. You know, it's really, really exciting and I'm definitely getting a copy for myself and I'll be passing it to clients. But again, it's called Beloved and Dominant Brands and you'll be able to get that at most good bookstores and you can follow David on Twitter and also on LinkedIn and it's David Lemley, L-E-M-L-E-Y. So do check him out and do get in touch if you need any advice. 
A huge thanks to all of you for listening. I really don't take it for granted, so thank you for downloading and giving us a listen and also sharing, rating, reviewing, subscribing and getting in touch. And if you can, just tell one more person every week about the podcast. I would be forever grateful and there might even be a pint with your name on it. So thanks so much. Huge thanks to our headline sponsors, Engage Interactive. Do get in touch with Engage for anything that you need digital, you know, a bit of advice, a skunk project, or you really want to change your whole digital and social and advertising strategy, give them a shout. They'll also be able to help with a whole host of things like CRM and apps too. So get in touch and give Alex a shout and I'm sure it'll help you out straight away. A massive thanks to BDO, our premium partners who have supported us since day one. If you need anything in terms of advice for mergers and acquisition, financial Uh, structuring, anything like that, do get in touch with them and Peter and the team will definitely be able to help you over there. A massive thanks as ever to Gaz and Gabby for putting together the podcast and for all of their hard work. I really, really do appreciate it and it wouldn't be possible without you. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off. Bless you. Thanks for listening. I really hope that you got a lot out of this episode. I certainly did. It was almost like some free coaching and therapy. So thanks to David for that. And I really hope that this episode helped give you enough value and advice that will help your brand boom.